Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Let's Read the Bible, a podcast where we take a deep dive into biblical topics in a way that's easy to understand. If you'd like to follow along, you can download the YouVersion Bible app and subscribe to the 49-week challenge reading plan. We also have physical reading plans available in the lobby every Sunday. Yes, and as usual, I say this every week, uh, please send in your questions if they come up or you have questions that arise. Maybe it's trying to understand a context or a question or what does this situation actually mean or what is it actually saying? Uh, We actually have a question at the end of this podcast that we're going to get into, no spoilers, but um, it's a good one. It's definitely an interesting one, but it's those things that stand out to you or you just want a little bit more clarity or more discussion about, we would love for you to send those questions into us. You can send us an email at info at grove.church, or you can direct message our Facebook page. We are the Grove Church in Washington State. You're welcome to direct message us there. We get those questions either way, and we make sure to try and answer them as much as we can. Thanks so much. All right. Well, today we are going to talk about the life of Elisha. Um, I was looking through... Not Elijah, Elisha. Exactly. We were looking through what uh, we're reading about this week, so he pops up a few times. And so uh, the lesser known of the Eli prophets, I guess we'll call them, or the, <laughs> whatever, the Eli whatever you want to say. Uh, it's but, almost like his mom had a typo. Instead of Elijah, she said Elisha. Yeah. But anyways, I'm just kidding. Uh, So as far as resources, uh, as always, we're using the ESV Study Bible, Logos Bible software. Um, And then I'm also using a website called fromdanielsdesk.com. He looked for one that said from Evan's desk, but he realized there wasn't a good enough one. So he might start his own website here soon. Full disclosure, for for our biblical characters to get like an outline of their lives, I usually fall back on the the Zondervan Illustrated Bible Dictionary because it's really solid on that. Um, but I was prepping at the church and I forgot that book at home. So I was looking yeah. online. If you don't know this, we've we've been in and out of the building from the office perspective, right. probably since I would say June, just to be safe. Um, we kind of shut things down in March, just along with COVID. Uh, so we're slowly kind of getting back into the building office wise now that we're in, gathering in person, which this Sunday will be four, four weeks now. So, yeah. um, so Evan's still a little slow to get, cause he's Evan, well, the stuff that Evan does requires a bigger machine than just a laptop. So he moved all that home. He just recently moved it back in the office. So some of his stuff is still at home. So he's, tower, he's still in monitors, transition. All that jazz. Doing, so anyways, anyway, that's why. all of that to say, that's why we're using from Daniel's desk. All that to say from Daniel's desk has um, a really good outline of the life of Elisha. However, I cannot vouch for anything else on that website. So if you go on it and there's like really weird stuff, I did not recommend it. But, but the stuff of Elisha is, we, we can recommend is all I've seen and it was solid. It. So, which it, makes yeah. me think the website is solid, but yeah. you know, you never know. And you always want to give the disclaimer because there's Such some a weird, funny website. Name. There's some weird bloggers out there. There are some weird bloggers. All right. So uh, let's talk about Elisha. Who is this man named Elisha? Yeah. So you probably, me I mean, you've probably heard of Elisha. If you grew up in church, you've almost certainly heard of Elijah. If yeah. you've grown up with church, um, Elijah is, I don't think this is a controversial statement. I would say he's the most famous old Testament prophet who never wrote a book. Um, so you've got like, I would never get in a discussion about whether that's accurate or not, but I think you're right. Yeah. So, I mean, you've got Isaiah, Moses, Jeremiah, all Jonah, I guess it's probably up there, all of them, but, uh, Daniel. So lamentations. Elijah is everywhere in the book of Kings. Um, but he himself never actually writes a book and there's no book of Elijah. Listen, he just lets his life speak for him. Okay. He doesn't need to write a book. He's like, just check me out. Well, and it's definitely not to say that he doesn't have an incredible impact on the the people of Israel either. Well, and we see even a new Testament parallel. We're talking about, are you, the, are you the prophet Elijah yeah. um, referring to Jesus and 
Or and, even John the Baptist. So. Yeah, well, in Eli- correct me if I'm wrong, Elijah and Moses are the two people that are at the transfiguration, right? Yeah, so anyway, big... And that's a New Testament thing too with Jesus. Yep, big and deals. Peter, James, and John, I think. Yeah, um, if you if you need a quick reminder of who Elijah is, um, he's the one where uh, he called down fire from heaven to the altar, uh, killed the 400 prophets of Baal, is probably his most famous. Thank you very much. Say what? 450? 450. My bad. Gosh, My bad. What are you, new? Uh, so that's probably his most famous miracle. Um, he's famous for constantly facing off against King Ahab and Queen Jezebel because um, Jezebel is the worst and Ahab is also the worst. Um, although Literally, I'm a little that's bit- part of their, That's part of their legacy and their resume portfolio. The yeah. worst. I'm a little bit more sympathetic of Ahab after we did his character study episode, which if oh, you haven't listened to it, go listen go to it. It's actually it. good, but it was fun. he's still the worst. Um, yes. I just feel bad for him a little bit more. Bad. So anyway, there you, bad man. there you go. Uh, but for much of Elijah's ministry, or at least towards the end of it, uh, we see another man who was with him named Elisha. So we're going to go ahead and read the story of Elisha becoming a part of Elijah's entourage, I guess, if you want to say it like that. Yeah. So, uh, and the I'll Lord see. said to him, and this is to Elijah, uh, go return your, on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu, the son of Nimshi, you shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel Meloah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall Jehu put to death. And the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Shaphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen in front of him. And he was, and he was with the 12th. Elijah passed him and his, uh, passed by him and cast his cloak upon him, which is some important symbolism we'll be seeing Mm -hmm. here in a little bit. Uh, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again for what I for what have I done to you? And he returned from following him and took a yoke of oxen and sacrificed them and boiled their flesh with the yokes of the oxen and gave it to the people and they ate. Then he arose and went after Elijah and assisted him. Which that in and of itself is pretty significant, but. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny because it's kind of reminiscent of Jesus calling the disciples mm-hmm. where it's just like. Come follow me. Yeah. He throws a cloak on instead. <laughs> and so we can guess that Elisha knows who this is. Um, Elijah's pretty famous within the. The people of Israel. We can also guess that Elisha, and I thought this was interesting. Um, he's probably from a pretty affluent background. Um, not that they're like insanely rich, but twelve yoke of oxen is nothing to shake at. Yeah, not at all. So, and uh, and he's def- he's certainly not a servant, yeah. right? Because it says he's the son of. So, anyway, mm-hmm. um, he's probably doing pretty well. Elijah goes, he says, come, follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Just kidding. He doesn't say that. That's why Jesus actually says it. No, I'm just kidding. That's so bad. Uh, Wait, what? No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. So anyways, yeah. So that's the story. Um, Elisha just kind of sticks with Elijah through the end of his ministry. Mm -hmm. And then- Well, the interesting thing though, too, is even in that passage, you see a couple things happen. Like he isn't very affluent. He's not, he's not some poor servant. He is, he is innocent, some well off. Um, and so when he, he threw, when Elijah throws a cloak on him, whether or not he knows exactly who Elijah is, there is something culturally beyond this. Um, when a cloak is given, it's a mantle, it's a responsibility, like it's an invitation kind of thing. But then you see Elisha's response. He burns uh yoke. This is part of his family job. Like this is what he will do as he grows older. And so for him to go back after responding to Elijah's cloak being passed on him or t- put on him. Uh, he, in essence, burns and sacrifices the oxen, and it's his response 
is I will no longer identify with this as my my responsibility and the call of God on my life. Right. I'm now going to p- position myself under the authority of Elijah. And he's in essence saying goodbye to his family job, his family history. Um, and so in that moment, you see Elisha taking a, a in essence, willing to give up um, what, his, what he's promised with his family to then pursue the call of God through us. Uh, what mentorship of Elijah. So, And if you didn't think um, Elijah coming by and casting his cloak on him was, was enough. This is the next portion that we get where, uh, you know, I'll, I'll just start reading. It's pretty awesome. So uh, this is in second Kings chapter two, verses one through 13. Now, when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal, which also, spoilers, G's book. You can't let that be a surprise. But Wait, what? I missed all that. I was drinking water. Sorry. Hey, no worries. Well, it just opens up with now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven by a whirlwind. So, spoilers. That's what's about to happen. Also, just a side note, um, Elijah becomes the second person besides Enoch who is uh, taken up to heaven without having died. I'm pretty sure they're the only people. I think the only two in, yeah. in history. I think I just read this in Hebrews alluding to it. Yeah. The faith so, of Enoch. So there you go. We don't know nearly as much about Enoch as we do about Elijah. No, but I've read an entire chapter based upon Hebrews 11 where it talks about him. So. Boom. All right. So, and Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me as far as Bethel. But Elisha said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. And the sons of the prophet who were in Bethel came out to Elisha and said to him, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from over you? And he said, yes, I know. Keep quiet. <laughs> so boom, shut, shut it, it down. I'm in charge. Uh, Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they came to Jericho. The sons of the prophets who were at Jericho drew near to Elisha and said to him, do you not, do you know that today the Lord will take away your master from you? And he said, yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Then Elijah said to him, please stay here for the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Dude, he's just trying to lose this kid. Yeah, right. Uh, But he said, as the Lord lives and as you yourself live, I will not leave you. So the two of them went on. Fifty men of the sons of the prophets also went and stood at some distance from them uh, as they were both standing by the Jordan. Quick side note, I do think it's cool that... um, Earlier in Elijah's ministry, it was very much hinted that he was the last prophet of the Lord left. So now you're actually seeing at the end of his ministry, there's a bunch of prophets of the Lord. And there was also a moment where where he's crying out to God saying, I'm the last of your prophets. I'm the last faithful one. And God's like, what are you talking about? I have, I've preserved a remnant of my prophets. Uh, And so it's almost like God saying, I got you. (laughs) And you see it now. Chill, man. Yeah. Anyway, so continuing on from verse eight, uh, then Elijah took his cloak and rolled it up and struck the water and the water was parted to the one side and to the other till the two of them could go over dry ground. How red would that be to see? That'd be pretty sweet. Whack. Whoa. You haven't seen that since. I believe the last time was uh, Joshua crossing the Jordan, right? That the water was parted. I don't know that definitively, but it's a- I think that would be. It's a, the Ark of the Covenant was the priest brought it in. Yeah. I yeah. Think that would it's, be. A, it's a rare miracle and kind yeah. of a signal Moses that God. Parting the Red Sea. Yep. Then the, parting the Jordan water, or stopping the Jordan water from flowing. So it was dry ground. And then and now we got now this. Elijah splitting or stopping. Yeah. And so, and when they had crossed, uh, Elijah said to Elisha, ask what I shall do for you before I am taken from you. And Elisha said, please let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. Oh, snap. And he said, you have asked a hard thing. Yet, if you see me as I am being taken up from you, it shall be so for you. But if you do not see me, it shall not be so. And as they still went and talked and talked, behold, chariots of fire and horses of fire separated the two of them, which would be pretty scary. And Elijah went up myself. 
Yep. And Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And Elisha saw it and cried, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And he saw him no more. And he took a hold of it, uh, took hold of his own clothes and tore them into pieces, which is a sign of mourning. Yeah. Um, and he took up the cloak of Elijah that had fallen from him and went back and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So there you go. This is kind of big moment of, yeah. it. it's kind of funny too, because it, there's a lot of, um, we'll see that we'll see coming up here too. There's mm. a lot of parallels between Moses and Joshua yeah. uh, and Elijah and Elisha, where you see like kind of the great prophet of his time. Um, passing things along to his successor, mm-hmm. and that successor being chosen clearly by God. It's not a it's not a choice um, that the that the prophet himself made. Like yeah. Moses doesn't choose his own sons; God chooses Joshua. So that's who Moses yeah. anoints. And that's why Elijah said it was you've asked a hard thing because mm-hmm. it's not it's not my mantle to get. It's it's God's call. Then that was the thing that that marked Elijah was the way that he carried the mantle God gave him to be the prophet, to be faithful, to be obedient. Um, and so it was really this, this conversation first off the, the, the audacity to ask for such a thing. Right. Yeah. And in our, in our current cult, culture and context, it's actually frowned upon to see that because it's come, it comes across as arrogance. Um, but it is this, this picture of this is God's mantle to give, not mine. And so if you see me, then, then yeah, God's going to grant it. If not, then he's not going to grant it. So go back to the way you were living and do what you have been, what I've taught you to do. So, yep. And the the other way that it really does parallel and, and it's, it's just really interesting is that Elisha actually takes Elijah's cloak and so we ended it we ended the reading as where he's on the Jordan but like one of the next verses is that I probably should just put it in there but um, he rolls up Elijah's cloak mm-hmm. and he strikes the water and the water parts for him yeah and so again like you see with Moses in the Red Sea um, one of the first miracles I think actually the first miracle of when Joshua takes over is the parting of the Jordan River. Um, if it's not first, it's one of the first, but yeah, it's one of the big ones. If not, yeah, but I think it, it might be the first. I'll have to go back. I won't go back and look at it because I just know me. But yeah, it's, but it's, it's a good thing at one point to. Pay it's attention. a it's a way of God showing that um, the mantle that I had over Moses is now on you, yep. and it's kind of the same thing here, yep. where God does the exact same miracle. Only this time, it's Elisha, not Elijah, doing it. So there you go. Um, the crazy thing is, like, I'm just going to say this because I know we're getting ready to jump into like the miracles of Elisha. Let's do it. Um, Oh, dude, I wish I, there's a, there's a message recently at a conference. I was a pa- part of, uh, by one of the pastors I love and respect. His name's Terry Parkman. Shout out to Terry. You're not listening, but, uh, Terry if you bear. ever do listen to this, Terry Bear, no, it's Lair Bear from San Diego. That's, That's the right. guy. Um, but he just talked about that whole idea of Elisha saying, and wants a double portion of Elijah's ministry. I want to say that there was seven big miracles that Elijah did. And throughout Elisha's record, we're not going to hit all the miracles of Elisha today, but there's 14. You see 14 in Elisha's, oh. in Elisha's life. Um, and through, well, you, you see 14 through Elisha. You see 13 in his life. And I don't know if we're going to get to the Oh, one. we will get to the cool one that the happens cool, okay. after he dies. <laughs> so then the 14th one is is kind of a remarkable one. I just remember he just recently spoke about this whole idea of a mantle and authority and uh, the step of faith it took not just to take on the mantle that Elijah had dropped um, or that was descended from Elijah as, as God's call, but also then to strike the water much like Elijah um, to initiate the new leadership and mantle that he was carrying. So anyways, yep. miracles of Elisha. Like uh, like Aaron alluded to, we're not going to hit all of them, but we're, I'm hitting the big ones. Yeah. So the ones that are really famous yeah. um, and then one that's really funny. <laughs> so, yeah. uh, But their totals, and it's it's funny because like numbers aren't everything, but numbers reveal something. So when it comes to the double portion, Elijah did seven, had seven miracles that were pretty phenomenal in his life mm-hmm. that are recorded in scripture. And then we actually see 14 in total. 
from Elisha. Which is probably not an accident. So. No, not at all. Like you said, they probably did more. Double but portion, bro. As far as recordings, yeah. what is recorded. So, so. Anyways, I just thought that was a cool thing that I learned recently. I was like, oh, there you go. Now so, I need to go back and actually confirm that. So Elisha rolls up to Jericho. Mm-hmm. Uh, the water's Sorry. the water's all dirty. It's uh, it's getting people sick. And so he uh, throws a bowl of salt in it, cleans it up. Water's clean. First people miracle of Elisha. Again. Well, not first, but because I guess the water parting. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. And just to rehash and make sure you hit that, you hear this. He took the cloak, rolled it up, said, where's the God of Elijah? Slapped the water and parted for him to walk back across the Jordan River in front of the 50 prophets, uh, the, the 50 sons of prophets. And so there was this moment oh, too that existed where Elisha's mantle was now what Elijah's was, the authority that Elisha now walks in the 50 prophets, sons of the prophets saw this and now recognized and validated it. It's a real movie moment. Yeah. So anyways, uh, this is also- That's the first one. Second one, clean water. This, Yeah, clean water in Jericho. Third one here would be, uh, and I want shout out to Mark Epstein, who's like- Oh, dude. Dude, so he doesn't, so I, I'm just going to give you guys a little bit dude, of this is a story. throwback, bro. This is like back in youth ministry days. So Mark was a youth leader five years ago. He yes. They live somewhere else now, but one of the great guys, yeah, super awesome. guy like crazy. So I was, I went to one of his life groups one time as a leader to like, I don't know, I was like helping out or something. And so he read, uh, and Mark is, Mark is bald is the important yes. thing to know about this. So uh, he reads- He's also the, ripped. He reads this, that's true. Uh, he reads this passage to all of the guys in his life group and just stays quiet and looks at them. But in second Kings 2, 23 through 25, it says, um, he went up and that's Elisha. He went up from there to Bethel. And while he was going up on it, on the way, some small boys came out and cheered and jeered at him saying, go city. up. This came out of the city and jeered at him. Oh, not came cheered. Out, sorry. This came out of the city and jeered at him saying, go up, you bald head, go up, you <laughs> bald head. And he turned around. And when he saw them, he cursed them in the name of the Lord. And two she bears came out of the woods and tore 42 of the boys. What the heck? From there, he went on to Mount Carmel. And from there, he returned to Samaria. And the so, reason why that's an insult is because your hair was a sign and a symbol of, um, what's the word I'm looking for, Evan? Um, I'm actually not sure. Authority, it was a sign of respect. Like there is a reason why like you, you keep your hair uh, well kept and well clean. Like, and we talked about a little bit, I think in the Song of Songs, where we talked about the hair, like a w- woman's hair and things like that. How? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. But, that's more New Testament, but, but yeah. But the hair was me- is meant to be in the Old Testament. It was like the way they carried themselves. And so if you didn't have hair, there was almost a kind of a, uh, an embarrassment of riches, so to speak. Yeah. Not riches, but embarrassment. I really think as a as Western culture, we solved that in the like 18th century with the powdered wigs. wigs and then we just got away from it, yeah. you know? So now, go back to that, now right? bald guys have to just own it. So I won't ever be bald. Thank you to my grandfather. Thank you, grandfathers. Uh, anyway, so yeah. So for my son though. So yeah, in, in this life group, Mark just read that, closed the Bible and just looked at all of them. So it was just pretty funny. Did, didn't someone ask him to read that passage? Hey, can you read this passage? Oh. I, I swear that was part of the story. Maybe. Like one of the, one of the life group guys gave him that passage to read and Mark was like, okay, yeah. He opens it up and then he just, that could That's be. where it was the awkward, like just staring and looking and everyone's laughing. Oh man. And Mark did not call out two she bears and curse them. So yeah, good for, good for him. Mark Showed is, restraint. Mark is a good man. Um, so the next miracle Love we'll talk Mark about Davis. is this one's actually two miracles wrapped into one story. Um, oh wait, hold on. Sorry. That's the next one. Yeah, don't uh, get ahead of yourself. Sorry. This first, this next one. Uh, so a widow has two sons who are about to be sold to pay a debt. So she's in crippling debt. Her husband has died. We can kind of assume that's part of it. She doesn't know what to do. She asks Elisha um, for, for a miracle. And so Elisha says, go um, and borrow vessels from your neighbors and pour the oil out of the vessel you have into those vessels. And so the it's, it's kind of funny because it's a weird miracle in the sense of like, it's not like the big dramatic, like, 
the parting of the Red Sea or yeah. any of the or the even like the calling of two she bears. But it's um uh so she's You're she, not gonna make a movie about this one. Yeah, but she pours um she pours the oil out of her vessel and miraculously the oil keeps flowing enough yep. for her to fill all of the vessels that she borrowed from her neighbors. Do you remember how many vessels it was? Uh I didn't write it down, but it's a it's a, it's a lot. It's a oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a lot. So um and you also be keep in mind oil today, um like no one really cares about yeah. it that much. Back then, it's a, it's a it's a huge luxury. It's very expensive. Well, yeah, and I think can I think yeah, think of it because it wasn't just used for fuel for candles and and lanterns. It was used for you know uh, heads and hair and things like that. it was used for a lot cooking. Of things. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's a lot of different things. Yeah. Um, so she fills up all of these vessels, and then she's able to sell the oil, and then the the profit she debt. makes from that is enough to pay off her debt. So yeah, so there you go. God's taking care Good of work, this Thank widow. You, Jesus. Uh, next one. This is, is a double whammy. Yeah, this one's the double miracle. So, uh, a woman is barren, uh, which means she can't have children, and so Elisha prophesies that she will have a son. And lo and behold, she gets pregnant. She has a son. Uh, she's married too, so it's not like uh, this isn't a virgin Mary situation. This is her and her husband. Um, years later, Elisha is returning back, and the son. It's kind of like a really sad, weird story where he just like has a headache and the dad like brings him back inside and then he just dies. Mm -hmm. the, the son does. And so the the mom is understandably very distraught. And so she calls Elisha. Elisha comes. And then we get this really interesting uh, like so spoilers. Elisha brings the kid or God brings the child back to life through Elisha. Yeah. Um, but it's just the most weird way <laughs> it could have been done. So. Um, it says, when Elisha came into the house, he saw the child laying dead on his bed. So he went in and shut the door behind the two of them and prayed to the Lord. Then he went up and lay on the child, putting his mouth on his mouth, his eyes on his eyes, his hands on his hands. And as he stretched himself upon him, the flesh of the child became warm. Then he got up and walked once, once back and forth in the house and then went up and stretched himself upon him. The child sneezed seven times and the child opened his eyes. So, I mean, like, it's what? really, it's really cool yeah. <laughs> that the kid came back to life, but it's just like, what is going on? So it's one of those moments of like, God, did you just really say that to me? I, I, okay. Wait, let me get this straight. I got, I got to go lay on this kid, my mouth, my eye, like, and yeah. Okay. I, like, and then can you imagine, oh, I got to do it again. What? And I'm sure there's like, there's some things like culturally today. That's very different. It doesn't make any sense. It's today, definitely right? perceived than it was back. I'm then. not going to walk into some hospital bed after and, and like just lay myself on someone out. and put my mouth on that. Like that, that's. What I, mean, I, also love I guess is, if God says so, then I want to say I want to be obedient. But dude, like, yeah, putting myself in Elisha's shoes, there's got to be some, okay, Lord. What I also love is the mental picture of this kid sneezing seven times in Elisha's face. <laughs> and then he wakes up and that's the first thing do you he think, sees. Do you think Elijah was still laying? It doesn't say he got off. You yeah. know what I mean? So like, I feel like. There's I, just a period. As I, <laughs> as, like, as, I as I read it. He went and laid again on the child and chew, then the chew, child chew, sneezed. Chew, 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 so, chew, chew. Anyway, one of those oh, man. one of those weird things. Gotta love it. Um, but the mom is happy. Oh, the both parents are happy. Yeah. The kid is back alive. Um and, and, and God performs a miracle through Elisha. That's incredible. Yep. Uh and the final one we're gonna talk about today. This is that's not the final one. In this section, this is the final oh, one. Oh yeah, true, true, true. Because we got one more, right? We're hitting one more. Oh, we're hitting yeah, that's true. Uh then this one's I would guess it's probably the most famous of Elisha's miracles. Um, but it's um, Naaman, the commander of uh, a commander of the Syrian army, is cured of his leprosy. Mm -hmm. um, and this is the story where um, 
he's a uh, very high up in the commanding army of another person. He has a servant girl who says like, and he has leprosy, which if you don't know what leprosy is, it's a um, eating disease. and it's don't make the mistake, don't make the mistake of Googling it. So yeah, don't unless do you want to be gross. really grossed out, but your skin literally like flakes off is what yep. it is. If you remember and Braveheart, it's very contagious. It's what touch. Robert the Bruce's dad has in Braveheart. Yes. So, um, but yeah, he gets leprosy. And his son kills him. He doesn't kill him. He's just like, doesn't his son push him out of, no, he goes like, my hate will die with you. And then he shuts the door. I thought he should. Anyways, no, yeah. that's a different, that's a different scene in the movie. Sorry. Yeah. My apologies, King Edward guys. kills his son's special friend by throwing him out the window. So, yes. um, anywho, so getting back to not Braveheart, getting back to the Bible. Uh, so in spoilers, I guess, if you haven't seen Braveheart, our bad, <laughs> but, uh, so Naaman finds out he has, uh, this horrible disease that will kill him. And, yeah. um, almost even worse than that, it will make him an outcast for the rest of his yeah. life. So when you have leprosy, because it's so contagious, um, you had to live away from yeah, everyone. Were, there, was a, there was a specific town that you were then exiled to yep. with other lepers. So yeah, lepers, not leopards, by the way. Lepers, yeah. Um, so, Did I say leopards? No, I just, okay. it makes me just think of the sure. office when like he dresses up as Jesus and he's like, I can I heal leopards. I think that's third re- office reference today. And it's only 11, 12. We're going real pop culture. So you're welcome. Um, so anyway, Not and, just on the podcast, just in general with Evan. So. It's true. Um, so anyways, Naaman finds out about this. <laughs> he has a servant girl who says like, you should talk to Elisha. He's a prophet in Israel. That's where she's from. Um, and he says he, he would totally be able to figure this out. So he goes to Elisha um, and he asks him what to do. And Elisha says, you know, go bathe in the, the Jordan. Uh, and I believe it's what, seven times is what yeah. he asked him to do. Dip yourself seven times. Yep. And so... Naaman is kind of just like, well, I have, like there's rivers back That's home. The like, thing I've ever heard. Yeah, exactly. And you kind of get this idea of like he was expecting oh, yeah. like, go slay this beast. And go then, kill the dragon. Yeah, like something like that. And he's like, yeah, go take a bath. So Naaman's kind of hesitating. Uh, one of his other servants is like, dude, like, I mean, just go do it. Like, what are you, why are you being all weird about this? Yeah. And so he's like, okay, fine. So he goes and he does it. And then lo and behold, upon, after he emerges from the seventh dip in the river, uh, his leprosy is gone. So and he's cured. Yeah. He's so cured. there you go. Uh, anywho, moving forward from there, we're going to get to the death of Elisha and the miracle that Aaron yeah, the is last, the last miracle referring to. This which is, is the 14th. This is the final piece of the double portion. Now, remember, just to be uh, ridiculous about it, up to this point, Elisha, and we only covered six in the previous section about there's other miracles that Elisha performs, you know, through the power of God, whatever. I don't know why I said whatever, but so this is now <laughs> or, or 13 and then Elijah dies. Elisha dies. It's 13, Elisha dies, and this is what we'll talk about. Uh, this, this is Second Kings 13, 14 through 21. Now, when Elisha had fallen sick with the illness of which he was to die, Joash... That's just a side note that just because you do God's will does not mean you're going to be healthy and whole. Just, just a side note. So. Ooh. Shots fired. Yeah, shots fired. Prosperity gospel. Uh, Joash, king of Israel, went down to him and wept before him, crying, My father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and arrows. So he took a bow and arrows. And then he said to the king of Israel, draw the bow. And he drew it. And the drawing was very good and realistic. Just kidding. Uh, and Elisha laid his hands on the king's I, hands. I literally, we put the scripture on iPads on a, a, a joint document that we share. And I'm reading along with Evan. I'm like, and he drew, wait, what? I'm, what? What? That's not in my... 
It just reminds Jerk. me. I don't know why I'm so, so like funny. out of it today. Dude, but I just think it's today, bro. It's there's we're a, both kind of all over. The there's map, a meme of like in Lord of the Rings when Theoden says, "Let this be the hour that we draw swords together," and then the next picture is like him and Aragorn holding Drawing up pictures swords. of a draw of swords. Anyway, all right, moving forward. Uh, draw the bow, and he drew it. And Elisha laid his hands on the king's hands, and he said, "Open the window eastward," and he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. I'm not going to waste my shot. And he said, the Lord's arrow of victory, the Lord's, the arrow of victory over Syria, for you shall fight the Syrians in Aphek until you have made an end of them. And he said, take the arrows. And he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground with them. And three, and he struck three times and stopped. Then the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. Obviously, come on, king of Israel. What do you do? Then he, then you would have struck down Syria until you had made an end of it. But now you will strike down Syria only three times. So Elisha died, and they buried him. Now bands of Moabites used, uh, used to invade the land in the spring of the year. And as a man was being buried, buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was thrown into the grave of Elisha. And as soon as the man touched the bones of Elisha, he re- re- revived and stood on his feet. Miracle number 14. Final miracle. These guys are burying their friend or son or father or whatever it was. And they don't know who's buried where. They're marauders. They're not familiar with the territory. They just see a cave. They're going to throw a dead body. Well, in. the people are Israelites. They see the marauders and they're freaked sure? out. I think so. I might have just misread that. Though. I'm reading it I as... I thought it was the other way. As a man was being buried, behold, a marauding band was seen, and the man was... Yeah, I'm, the way I read it is oh. they're burying someone, they see the marauders, they freak out, so instead of finishing digging the grave, they just throw him into another grave. Maybe you're right. Um, could be wrong. Either you're way... probably right. Evan's probably right, guys. Because the other thing I was thinking about is like, it's like the guy stands up, I guess he goes back with his friends, but like I always think it'd be funny like if the guy, like the friends run, and he wakes up, and all he sees is just marauders coming. And he's like, well, now what do I do? But didn't I die? I like to think he lived a, a few more years after that and was doing well. So anyways, that is the final miracle of Elisha. Elisha didn't even have to be present um, spiritually for it to happen, just his physical body. Um, and you kind of see, I guess, a little bit of a parallel of Elijah's cloak, right? Like there's still some power. Um, I don't want to say left in the cloak because it's it's all God using things, but yeah. that's kind of like the idea that God is still yeah, doing. Typically, you're you're buried with your your garments or whatever, right? You're typically buried in something specific, right? Because did it say that the cloak was still in there? Uh, no, I was just saying more of long lines of like when you see El- Elisha taking Elijah's cloak. Mm-hmm. Um, God is still working miracles. You can kind of say through Elijah when he strikes the river, yeah. and then now you can say that God is still working miracles through, through Elisha, Elisha. Yeah. even though he's not it's a fun way to end it. Yeah, consciously doing anything. It's a great so, anywho, there you go. That is the life of Elisha. Hope you learned something. Hope you had some fun. Sorry that we're a little bit more all over the place. Um, Listen, our, we had great conversation. Okay? Dude, we're we're tired. People are engaged and listening. We they're still, laughing along with us. They're crying along. We still with don't us. know who the president is. It's just whoa, you know, whoa, whoa. it's one of that's, those. That's too far. It's one of those. It's one of this those. This is a weeks. Bible podcast, not a political podcast. I didn't, I didn't say nothing. I'm Gosh, just saying, you know, you knew? maybe if the uh, maybe if the sloth from Zootopia wasn't counting votes in some of those states, we wouldn't have some answers. Anyway, before we move on to our Q&A portion today, I uh, just want to remind everyone to please leave a review. Uh, it helps get the podcast out there to more people and uh, and grow this community of um, of people listening to the podcast and reading the Bible together. So there you go. Uh, all right. Our question that came in this week or last week, I suppose. Um, hi, guys. Hello, hi. listener. Good to see uh, you. In Deuteronomy 34, it says... 
uh, in just about all translations that God buried Moses, um, inferring that people did not. Um, and side note, yes, that is true. So it says that God buried Moses and that people, and it specifically says, and no one knows where that was. Yeah. So that's saying that God did it. Uh, but in Jude, it says that the archangel Michael fought the devil for the body. Jude's remark isn't based on the Old Testament and seems a little unusual. You're right about that. Uh, what was Jude on about? If God buried Moses, I can't imagine the devil getting close. All right. So we got a, an interesting an interesting sidebar here. So I'm going to read both passages because they're pretty short. So in Deuteronomy, we get this. Uh, so Moses, the servant of the Lord, died in the land of Moab, according to the word of the Lord. And he buried him in the valley of the land of Moab, opposite Beth Peor. But no one knows the place of his burial to this day. Moses was 120 years old when he died. His eye was undimmed and his vigor unabated, which is a great line. I hope people say that about me when I die. Uh, and then I'll in make Ju- sure to say it about you when you die. Thank you. Because I'm going to live longer than you. You're, you might not be wrong. I'm like 12 years older than you. Uh, and then in Jude, uh, chapter 1, verses 8 through 9, it says... Yet in a like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious ones. But when the archangel Michael, contending with the devil, was disputing about the body of Moses, he did not presume to pronounce a blasphemous judgment, but said, the Lord rebuke you. All right. So what is going on there? Okay. So it is is really interesting. Um, and Jude has, I think it has one other spot like this in the book where he just kind of references something that we don't know, have that we have no clue about. So here's what we know for sure. Um, and the, and I spoilers for the answer. It's not going to be super satisfying because there's yeah. nothing definitive. Whatever Jude is referencing is lost to history. We yeah. have no record of it. We have no idea. Um, most likely it's part of Hebrew tradition or Jewish tradition that he's kind of... Um, that he's going on about for that. So that is the idea there. So our three options for interpreting this are, are this number one, um, the event happened mm-hmm. and Jude is talking about it. So there was a point where the archangel Michael fought over the body of Moses with the devil. Uh, event number two is that this isn't, this event didn't happen. And Jude is referencing like a legend of the people of Israel. And he's taking a lesson out of that. Um, you see Paul do that a couple times where he references stories and poets um, that aren't explicitly Christian or Jewish, but he takes lessons from what they've written. So that could be what Jude is doing here. Um, or three, the event didn't happen and Jude is just wrong. What? I know. So those are our three options. Um, Aaron, I don't know where you land on this. So we're so, so well, there's knows? a couple things first off, like as I'm I'm reading, I there I don't believe scripture talk. This is just to answer directly your question. Sure, sure. I think sure. there's some there's semantical things that I think are important to understand. And the question being asked and what's actually being shown in scripture. Um, I would say the first thing, I, I don't dispute the, the truth that is written in scripture. So what I mean by that is if it's mentioned in scripture, then I, then I have faith and trust that it actually happened. Does that make sense? Yep. So that's where I land. So in this conversation, if, if Michael the archangel fought the devil for the body of Moses then I'm going to trust that it happened and it's true, even if I don't have other authority or scripture to back it up. It's, mm-hmm. That's where the layer of faith comes into play for me. So yeah. I'll answer that question first. So yeah, so I think for me, it's a, it's for sure not three, uh, which is the yeah. idea that Jude is just wrong about it. Um, I'm putting it in there because it is an option. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can think, choose oh, to yeah, and that. we don't want to be totally like, this is the way it has to be. Yeah. We want to give you all the options first. Um, but my default with scripture, and I think the correct way to read scripture is to believe that it is true in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, when we say true, we don't necessarily mean 
literally true. And you can even go back yeah. to um, yeah, yeah. like in Job, when God says like, who laid the cornerstone of the earth? Well, he's probably not describing that when the earth was created, there was a stone that was like, that's probably not yeah. what's actually, it's poetic. It's speech. Um, and so there's a lot of things like that. And again, like I just referenced in, in uh, I forgot which letter of Paul it is, but he references um, like a story that's mm. clearly like, a, it's a legend. It's like a Greek story, but he's taking lessons out of it. So yeah. Um, I do believe that that could be what's happening here in Jude and it wouldn't present any problems for interpretation. Mm-hmm. Um, although I am just kind of like with Aaron where I, my, my default is like, if in scripture it is said that something's happened, something happened and there's not really significant evidence to say it didn't happen. I'm just going to go with it. Yeah. So, uh, be- and not because it's easier to go with it, but because my faith in the infallibility and the errancy of God's word trumps my skepticism. Yeah. So, and it's, and it's a layer. And that's why I say my faith, I trust that the word of God is inspired by God. I trust that over the course of 1600 years, approximately 40 different authors, that it all lines up how God intended it to line up. Now it's not totally clear and transparent and, um, understandable. I think, I think Mm -hmm. there is some mystery to it, which is important because if, if God were just to put everything blatantly right in front of us, first off, I don't think we'd believe it all. Uh, but secondly, I, we wouldn't wrestle through it. And so I think that's part of the, why I think there's value to the, the mystery of, of scripture sometimes too. Yeah. So if, it, if you want to know where we land on that, we think the event probably happened. If it didn't happen and it's a legend, that's not really anything problematic. And then I would say like, if it, it's, it's not option three. So, okay. so uh, I've got a couple other thoughts then to add to it. Are you done? Go for it. Okay. Um, so here's, here's where I'm kind of, as I'm reading the question, part of me is analytical where I analyze the question. I try and dissect it. So I understand what you're asking. Um, where you're asking is in Jude, the archangel Michael fought the devil for the body. Um, now this is where my first thought is, I don't know if I've ever heard that part of scripture before where where Michael fought the devil for a body of Moses. Uh, and so what I do typically, and just to give you kind of some of my processing, um, I verify or I read through multiple translations to understand. So I'd be curious to know what translation was being read when you understood it to communicate that Michael fought. Because I'm understanding you're saying physically fought and wrestled the devil. Sure. Um, and so I would say I don't see that in other translations. I see that Michael argued with the devil about the body of Moses, which is a different conversation. Um, because as I take the act of fighting from a physical fight standpoint, it's there was this altercation trying to defend the the body of Moses and protect it from the devil grabbing it versus arguing about the body of Moses was a much different conversation. Um, And so I think it's important for me as I read through the different translations, as I look at the NASB, I looked at the Passion Translation, I looked at the Amplified Version, um, even the NLT, I didn't look at the ESV because I didn't- ESV is what's written right right there. So contending Um, is what it says. So the, and I can see how it's interpreted to be physical altercation but I really don't believe that that's necessarily what's, what Jude is saying. I think Jude is talking about an argument about the body of Moses, not a physical altercation for the body of Moses. Um, and I think that just changes the conversation a bit um, because I do think that Michael and the devil have been in arguments at times, you know, and I do think that there's um, I'm not saying they couldn't fit fight physically. Cause I also think that there was also, there's also backing to prove that the archangels, and I think it was maybe Gabriel or Michael got held up in answering a, someone's request because of the fight going on, spiritually speaking. Uh, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I know there's an instance. Mm-hmm. Um, so I say that to say, because I think that should help change some of the dialogue. Um, and there was something else I was going to say on top of that, but I got sidetracked. Um, but I don't, I'm not convinced about, 
that it was Jude or Michael and the devil physically fighting. I think there was an argument going on. And then to say the other side too, when, when you said, if God buried Moses, I can't imagine the devil getting close. I, I say, I think two things to this. One, we see in the, in the book of Job, we've referenced Job a lot in these, in these podcasts because that's Evan's, Great book. Evan's passion right now is the book of Job, which I love it. Um, but we see that the devil stands before the God in the, like standing before God with the, all the other angels. In essence, asking permission to tempt, to uh, take away things from Job in, an, or in a manner of testing. Um, and so the devil stood before God even in that instance. And so I could see in some respects that the, the devil could get close to a body, so to speak, because he can still stand in the presence of God. Now he doesn't like it and he, he leaves quickly, but there is a spiritual dynamic where God is omnipresent. So it's not like Satan can run from him, if that makes sense. Yeah, so, that's a good point actually. So anyways, I think that there is something to be said about, I think the devil could stand before God. And if there is a physical altercation, which again, if, it, if that's what scripture is saying, then I'm totally willing to be proved wrong. I'm not interpreting it or understanding scripture to say there was a physical altercation. As I'm reading through the translations and understanding what the scripture is saying, I, I see an argument taking place between two individuals. So that that's kind of a, a roundabout kind of way. I do think the devil could stand before God because he's done it. We, see, we have scripture recording in the book of Job, but I think what scripture is actually saying in the book of Job is talking about a, a, a verbal argument, a, a contention verbally not a physical fight if that makes sense those are the only two thoughts that i would give no sort of, that, was the only, that was actually the only other thing i was going to talk about is the uh idea of uh satan getting close to the body of moses but yeah. there you go no so, great those are my thoughts great way to wrap it up hopefully that uh was a somewhat satisfying answer to the question um obviously it's always a bummer with i feel like a lot of the questions that we get is kind of like the answer is well it's lost to history but here's our best guess so well and that's and that goes back to what scripture is very clear his ways are not our ways his thoughts are not our thoughts we only see in part like and then it, right. then, the, then scripture promises that we, we, when we stand before God with unveiled faces, excuse me, which is a, a just a, a symbol of the fact that we will begin to fully know. Mm-hmm. And not, I don't know. I mean, maybe we're going to know as God knows. I don't know if that's actually actually true, but we're going to be enlightened to we'll so know more for many, sure. So many layers to it. Like I liken it to where I think the statistic right now, or the reality is, we don't use our full brain capacity, right? I think we're we use a, a, a small percentage of what our brains actually. Yeah, who knows? There's, there's conflicting science on it. But so like, there's part of me that's like when I stand before God, like he created brains, he created my humanity, he created me, and I'm not going to be this spirit being with a harp floating in the sky, but I'm going to be a new, I'm going to have a new body. So I believe like the fullest capacity of my brain and comprehension will then be illuminated. And so I'll understand more fully, uh, if not to the, like, I'll understand to the fullest measure I possibly can. Um, the depth, the vast, the greatness of God's love, his plan, his purposes and all that. So, yep. um, so I do think there's that layer to it too, where we're not always going to know what is actually happening or fully intended by sharing the things we share. I mean, there's a passage in Judges I'm not going to get into that. I mean, I remember years ago, my wife was like, that that disturbs me that that happened. Um, and so scripture is not meant to make us always feel like warm and cozy, yeah. but to provide truth and grace and God's overarching sovereignty. So there you go. I'll leave that alone. All right. Well, on that note, thanks for the question. It was great. I loved it. Yeah. Great question. Uh, and always, yeah, just continue to, li- to email in your questions. Even if you're listening in the distant future, uh, way after we record this, uh, send us a question and we'll answer it. There will definitely be another Q and a podcast or two before the end of the year. Yep. Even though we're coming up to that. So, so anywho, uh, just to wrap it up, we are a podcast of the Grove church, but we're not the only podcast of the Grove church. You can find all of our other podcasts and our resources on our website at grove.church. Have a great day. Thank you.